Uh, I watched Ajax Rangers and then Napoli Liverpool. Obviously, the Napoli Liverpool was the, the connoisseur's choice. Then I'm not sure what made me choose Tottenham v Marseille, but I did. Love the Champions League being back. Bloody love the Champions League. I do. That right side of the defence, Joe Gomez and Trent Alexander-Arnold looked incredibly vulnerable. Um, and Van Dijk is playing as badly as I think I've ever seen him play. So there's lots of issues there. I've got to ask you the, the killer question on, ma- on Mastermind there. <laughs> like it was a really, a real big question. Jonathan, same question to you. Probably not the same reaction. Oh, yeah, he's got his... Uh, yeah. They've not even been spectacular, as I said last week. Um, but he, it's just his movement. He, the nose for goal is just... I find it bizarre how he can be so good at uh, his age. You could make some great teams, which is why I'm disgusted by the who scored team. I know you've got you've you've got gone by the hour in the back three, all over all over the place. Where's the left footer? No, you don't need him. Overrated. Pierre McAbamyang, who who he'd worked with at Dortmund, they talked about this great reunion, and then six days after the transfer window closes, you sack him, having spent a quarter of a billion pounds on his say so. It just makes no sense at all. I mean, I, I, I seriously like. Amazing seafood. Oysters, longestines. I don't eat uh, seafood. <laughs> this could be like, the new, like a new Netflix series. Um, Jonathan and Dan go to the beach. Oh, commission that. Hello, welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by whoscored.com. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, joined by Josh from Who Scored, and as ever, my hero, Jonathan Wilson. And we're going to start, Josh, with the Champions League Team of the Week. I'm not even going to ask you how you both are, just straight into the Team of the Week. Yeah, it was um, it was always nice to hear the Champions League music back. Uh, oh, there was obviously some great, some great games as well that we got to see. Um, I watched the Liverpool game last night and still, still not quite sure what we saw there that some of the defending was blew my mind but um anyway in starting goal we've got Thibaut Courtois he was really important for Real Madrid in their match with Celtic particularly in the first half when Celtic were just barraging uh, Real Madrid's goal um Courtois he only ended up making four saves but it was really important and he sort of laid the foundations for for Real Madrid to go in and get that victory um and then moving into the defense we've got Jao Cancelo at right back he registered two assists um, in the 4 0 win over Sevilla, uh, there is first assist of the season. And then in, at centre back, we've got Jules Conde. He, he registered his third assist in two matches for Barcelona as they predictably had a heavy win against uh, Victoria Pilsen. Uh, the second centre back is Abakar Silla from Club Brugge. Uh, he scored the winning goal as they beat Bayer Leverkusen 1 0. And then completing the back four is Alex Grimaldi, Grimaldo sorry, from Benfica. Um, he scored a great goal and then also grabbed the assist in Benfica's 2 0 win over Maccabi Haifa. Um, into midfield, we've got Usman Dembele on the right wing. He grabbed two assists for Barcelona and just it's incredible to think where he now is for Barcelona considering it looked like he was going to leave pretty comfortably at one point last season. Uh, the central midfield pairing is uh, Andre, Frank, Zambo and Guisa. Uh, he just completely dominated Liverpool's midfield and capped off his fine performance with a goal. He's joined uh, by Ajax's Steven Bergwis. He played in a slightly deeper role uh, in midweek against Rangers. But that didn't stop him from grabbing a goal and an assist. And on the left is Vinicius Jr., who really had to step up when Karen Benzema went off and remedied under the cosh, as I said. Uh, but he scored for the fourth game running. And then up front, we have Robert Lewandowski, who got a perfect 10 rating after scoring his, a hat-trick on his Champions League debut for Barcelona. Uh, and then he's what completes the team is Mohamed Kudus. I think I've got that right, but probably not, though. Um, he... 
he played as a false nine for Ajax against Rangers and he scored and assisted and completed 100% of his passes. So, yeah, that's our Champions League team of the week for the first round of group games. No, Richarlison gets a double and doesn't make it in there. Yeah, just missed. He was close, but he just missed out. I think he was, um, he well, Lewandowski got a 10 and the other position he would have taken would have been up front um, and that went to Kudus of Ajax. Yeah, so you watched Liverpool last night. I watched Tottenham. Jonathan, who did you watch? Uh, I watched Ajax Rangers and then Napoli Liverpool. Okay, obviously the Napoli Liverpool was the the connoisseur's choice. Then I'm not sure what made me choose Tottenham v Marseille, but I did. Love the Champions League being back. Bloody love the Champions League. I do. Liverpool, <laughs> disgusting defensively, Jonathan. Oh, terrible. Yeah, um, I think that's the first game this season where. I've sort of thought this might not just be a blip. This might be something a bit more serious. I, I mean, I know they've got loads of injuries. I mean, clearly they wouldn't be playing Milner regularly uh, if he didn't have all the injuries. Now, I think he he's starting to look his age. Um, Fabinho, I thought, was was dreadful. Salah, not involved at all. That right side of the defence, Joe Gomez and Trent Alexander-Arnold looked incredibly vulnerable. Um, and, and Van Dijk is playing as badly as I think I've ever seen him play. So there's lots of issues there. Um, and you, you, I don't know. You maybe it is just fatigue, and, and maybe maybe they will come back as you know the season before last. They had a dreadful season and came back very strongly last season. But <clears throat> this season, given how compressed the calendar is between now and the start of the World Cup, you, you sort of think a Liverpool's title challenge could be over by then. And this this isn't an easy group, the um, Champions League group. So yeah. they've got to be very careful that they do actually get through that. Yeah, Josh, I think it was you. I followed two Josh Wrights. You were, you were tweeting about Thiago, the, the massive difference he makes in, in midfield. Was that you or was it the other Josh Wright? Yeah, it was me. Yeah. He, okay. uh, yeah, the difference, I think the game at that point was set up a bit perfectly for him, to be fair. Like Napoli were 4-1 up. They didn't need to sort of do anything at that point. But the difference he still made when he came on was just night and day compared to the rest of the Liverpool midfielders. I think he came on and he won six tackles in 27 minutes, uh, which was more than pretty much half the Liverpool team combined at that point. Um, but yeah, keeping him fit is obviously going to be massive for them. But as he's shown for years now, he's he's just not reliable enough to stay to stay injury-free. Um, but I think after the game as well, Klopp said he admitted that Liverpool need to reinvent themselves now. They need to come up with a new system. But as Jonathan said, the, the schedule doesn't really allow for any sort of time on the training ground to sort of work on that. So it's going to be really interesting to see where they go from here. I just think the thing that they've always done is they've outrun the opposition. Yeah, you know, they, they they've they sometimes they would, they would hit them early with with sort of a great rush, and they'd already be two or three up after half an hour. Sometimes, yeah, you know, they they have that surge. It wouldn't quite break through. Yeah, they calm down, then they come again in the second half, and you'd see the opposition just sort of run out of steam for so 60, 70 minutes, and they'd they win it in the final twenty minutes. And now I don't know if it's because of age, I don't know if it's because of fatigue, I don't know if it's because sort of application somehow. You know, Klopp's now in his eighth season, which he's, he's never gone more than seven seasons at a club before. It's eight seasons in, in modern football is a long time. Whether there the needs to be some sort of freshening up there, whether it is just the age profile of the squad that, that I think we knew it was ageing and, and maybe rejuvenating has not been, has not been easy. But they, they, they just don't look as energetic as other teams now. And, and that was their, their, real, their real selling point now. It, okay, it's one thing not to be as energetic as Napoli in the first 20 minutes of a Champions League game in Naples. But the same thing happens against Fulham. 
And that, that's what would really concern me. Like you put all of those things together and you start to think, yeah, maybe this is a bit more serious than just a blip. Yeah, Manchester United weren't renowned for running until they played Liverpool as, as well. Liverpool looked so lethargic in that game at Old Trafford as well. Let's turn our attentions then to the Premier League, what we're here to do. It's West Ham United against Newcastle United. And Jonathan, Lucas Paqueta, Bruno Gamares. Is that a show of the Premier League's financial muscle that they're playing for two of those kind of sides? No disrespect to either side before I get trolled in the comments or on Twitter. It's, it's never about one player. So the Premier, mid, mid-table Premier League clubs have, have bought players from Lyon for, you know, a decade. I think, But I think it's a quantity of that type of player now that the spending of the Premier League compared to every other league in Europe was, you know, was extraordinary. I think the Premier League's net spend was £1.3 this summer. The next highest league was Spain with 55 million. And that's largely because Barcelona have sold off half the club to, to fund it. So I, I think what we're seeing is that, that that Premier League middle is incredibly powerful, much more powerful than it's ever been before. So I'm not sure the top six are necessarily that much better than they've been before, although I think there is still a gulf between them and the rest. But I, I think yeah, that, that next bracket the West Ham, Newcastle, Villa. Um, uh, who else would you put in that bracket? Uh, for slightly different reasons, Brentford and Brighton. Um, yeah, that's that's a, a much stronger group than it's ever been before. And what it means is you don't have to fall off much, as Leicester have found, and suddenly you're in danger of getting cast adrift. Even West Ham are what? They're, they're, they're fourth bottom at the minute. I don't think they're that much off where they were last season, but that tiny little slippage... Can can actually have quite profound consequences. Everton, you probably put in in, in that mid table bracket as well. If if teams who are sort of aspiring for Europa League qualification um, and have had to spend an awful lot of money to to, to try and even be in the conversation. Yeah, it used to be Leicester as well, who were obviously the ones that were the biggest threat to the top six, but they've completely fell away under the current circumstances. West Ham, as Jonathan alluded to, Josh, they've had a, a bit of a sticky start to, to the season. I mean, that decision last week I thought was absolutely dreadful at Stamford Bridge. That won't have helped them at all. That would have been a chance to carry a bit of momentum. But it's it's quite weird because Moyes has been backed quite heavily. They've brought in an awful lot of players at West Ham. And I think he deserved backing because he'd done such a good job over the last couple of years. It's almost like, I mean, I'm not putting them in the, in the realms of Nottingham Forest at all. It's almost like too many new players have come in and he's got to try and, and get them into the team and try and create a, a, a system and some fundamentals there. Yeah, I think as well, some of them just aren't, well, don't really strike you as typical David Moyes signing. So like no. with Paqueta in particular, he's obviously, it, from just from his perspective, it's an interesting move because he at Leon he was a, a first choice player for the Brazilian national team, I think. Um, he started pretty much every single World Cup qualifier they had, and I think he only missed one, and that was because of suspension. Uh, now he's going to he's moving to to West Ham, where it'll be interesting to see how David Moyes uses him, because like I said, he's not a, a typical David Moyes player, um, someone that you'd expect to see David Moyes go out and try and sign. Um, and because Paqueta can play in so many different positions, I think it's important that Moyes quickly finds the role that he wants him to play, rather than maybe getting getting confused about where he can play because he is so versatile. Um, the cameo against West Ham, was, um, against Chelsea, sorry, was encouraging. I think David Moyes was right to be encouraged by that. But but yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see where he does play and how both of them adapt to each other because it is, it is a slightly different move from David Moyes in that respect. Yeah, a bit of a sticky start, as I said, Jonathan. And, and this is where now that uh, Europe gets involved for, for West Ham as well. How much is that going to affect them? But I suppose they have at least now got the depth. 
Yeah, they have, but I mean, it clearly does complicate things. Um, that yeah, you are constantly having to manage that squad. It's not just a case of this is our eleven and, and we put it out every week, which was was pretty much the case last season. But I think it's the nature of signings that would would worry me slightly. That Moyes had great success in his second spell at West Ham by signing players with with English experience. Um, yeah, people like Jared Bowen uh, or. The, the two Czechs he brought in, who, who sort of both are of that profile, have been very hardworking, physically quite tough, quite robust. And now they've signed four players from the French League this summer, plus Emerson Palmieri and um, Max McCornay. McCornay had this season at, at Burnley. Palmieri, I think, played a total of 20, or made a total of 20 starts for Chelsea. So they, they, they don't have that, that English experience. And that's not just a case of adapting to the English League. It's a case of how do you respond to Moyes' style of management? Now, you know, Max McCorney, obviously, having worked under Daesh, yeah, you, you can't say he has an experience of a British-style manager because there is no more British-style manager than Daesh. But it, just, just to bring in that volume of, of people who you don't quite know how they and Moyes will, will work together, that, that, I think, would be the concern. And that's why I think Moyes-style managers are increasingly rare in the Premier League when it is such a such a global league that, that, that possibly you need a slightly broader footballing um, uh, philosophy, mode of thought. Yeah, they've also got Skamaka, who, who they've signed, who probably for the money that they pay for him, he needs to play, he, need, he needs to start. But then West Ham and Moyes have been one of the reasons they've been so good is the way Antonio leads the line, Jonathan. So that's, that's a difficult one as well. Well, I mean, they clearly needed backup for Antonio. Antonio, by the end of last season, was clearly exhausted, and that was one of the reasons why they they fell away a bit. Um, you know, as much as the the Europa League campaign. Uh, I mean, but the Smacker, yeah, is another one who doesn't have that English experience. Um, you know, in one sense, I think he's a very good fit for West Ham. That West Ham, I think. Um, they had the fifth most goals to shots ratio last season. Skamaka, I think, had the highest ratio in Serie A of players who had more than fifty shots. So, yeah, that that suggests um, that, that that he, he you know, he's not somebody who needs a huge number of chances. Which in West Ham, I don't think, do create a huge number of chances. So, so in that sense, he'd, he'd seem a fit. But what I've seen him so far, that hasn't quite clicked yet. Now it's early; it might come, but. It certainly hasn't been an immediate adaptation. And Josh onto Newcastle. I've enjoyed watching them this this season. I'm almost quite surprised, even though I knew it, to, to, to hear to have to say they've got one win from their first six because it feels like they've been better than that. Yeah, it's really weird, isn't it? I, I thought the same when I was sort of looking into the league table ahead of this show that it feels that everything that they're doing is sort of on the up and on the rise. But yeah, like you say, they've only won one of their first six games, which is kind of surprising. Um, and like. Like the new the new owners obviously they want them to be challenging for the right at the top of the Premier League as quickly as possible, but obviously they have to be realistic and I think probably aiming for Europe, some sort of European football is probably that the actual target for them this season. Um but yeah, it'll be interesting to see where they, they get to because like one win in six is a weird start. And when you look at their squad, I I would say where they probably do fall short and where they will need to address in the future is probably that number six position because as good as Bruno Gomarage is, he's so much better in the in the in the number eight role, and he's perfectly capable of playing as the six. But I think you just lose so many of his attributes by playing him there, uh, and he's forced to play there because John Joe Shelby he's injured and is is quite injury prone. And I don't think they have that same 
they just don't have a, a good enough replacement there in that respect. And I think if that's they're going to they're going to be busy in every transfer window. But if the, if there's a position that they need to sort of um, address next, I would I would say it's that one. Are you surprised they haven't made that a priority, Jonathan? Because Shelby's out for out for months. I think it is, and you do lose a lot of Gamares. He's, he's good points with him playing as that, as that number six. He'd be so important to that side playing as a number eight. But he almost has to curtail his game playing as a number six. Yeah, no, I completely agree, and I think. That was the obvious, the obvious shortfall in squad. So when when they brought in, yeah, they they were linked with Richard Pedro, and then they ended up bringing in Alexander Isak. You sort of think, well, okay, I, I guess Callum Wilson is injured a lot, and Pedro or Richard Pedro or Isak have a slightly different profile of forward. They run from deeper. I sort of understand that, and yet that's ignoring this this massive. You know, the, really the one one hole you'd say left in the squad. I mean, obviously there's other positions they can upgrade. That's the one place where you think they'll be desperately need somebody. So, so yeah, I think their signings generally have been been very very good. I think they've been pretty restrained and, and quite intelligent with how they spent the money. But but that that is the the one gap. But I mean, the season's been been odd. I think in that they played really well against City. Um, they were pretty unlucky against Liverpool. Clearly unlucky last week against Palace with, with Mitchell's own goal being ruled out. But they very nearly got beaten at Wolves. Should have lost at Wolves. And they were very, very fortunate to, to get away with it at Brighton that Nick Pope made five or six brilliant saves. So it's it's been a really... Yeah, they've got a lot of draws, but that, that I think, hides a sort of real fluctuation. Oh, OK, you know, you can say Brighton away, Liverpool away. Those are... Oh, sorry, Brighton away, Wolves away. Those are two... Difficult games, but certainly Wolves away. I think is a, a game that they they they'd be hoping to do better than that in. Yeah, so these two are probably the most likely sides to finish seventh. I, I would say, although obviously Brighton have started like a, like a house on fire. Josh, if you had to choose one of them to finish seventh, which one do you think it would be? Pro- probably Newcastle, just because, like we said in the West Ham part, the the new signings it it, it does feel like a, a gamble from West Ham, even though it's obviously hugely exciting for their fans that they've been able to bring in these new sort of style of players that that sort there is going to be an adaptation period for them whereas I don't see that being the problem with Newcastle it's just whether they can find that level of consistency in terms of results but yeah I'd probably go out of the two I'd say Newcastle enjoyed your initial reaction to that question there like I'd asked you the the killer question on on mastermind there (laughs) like it was a really a real big question Jonathan (laughs) same question to you probably not the same reaction oh yeah he's got his Good yeah, acting. no, Newcastle are clearly better than West Ham. Like, clearly they are. Yeah, but you, would you say someone else is more likely to finish seventh or if you had to? Look, you say yeah, I mean, who, who knows what happens with Brighton? Mm. If Graham Potter was still there, but they, and look, it, it's very early, but the way they started, you'd have to say they had a chance. Um, but but I, I think I predicted Newcastle would be seventh at the start of the season. To be honest, the way Liverpool and Chelsea are going, maybe they can do better than that. Um, yeah. But they have to find slightly more consistent form and, and and be a little bit more prolific in front of the goal. Okay, then let's have your prediction while we're with you, Jonathan. 1-1. One, 1-1. One. One, one. Josh? Yeah, we're going for 1-0 as well. And I'm going to go for 2-1 to Newcastle. Are we doing anything with these predictions, Josh? Or are we just just doing them for fun, funsies each week? Yeah, I'll, there'll be an update next week. We'll just give it a, let this let the season oh, start like flowing it. a little bit, and then there'll be an update. Manchester City v Tottenham, then Erling Haaland v Harry Kane. Josh, if you were building Josh FC, would it be Erling Haaland or would it be Harry Kane? It's uh, it's really difficult, isn't it? I think on one hand you've got Erling Haaland, who 
is just an absolute machine in front of goal. Um, but then that feels harsh to not put Harry Kane in that sort of category as well, because he's obviously a prolific goal scorer, probably going to smash Alan Shearer's record um, very soon. And he's also a wonderful player at the same time as that. So, yeah, it's really tough. And But even if Erling Haaland, he, he probably only needs about four seasons to, to break Alan Shearer's record as well. So, I don't know, it's so difficult. I'd probably go for Erling Haaland just because I just find it so fascinating how how easy it does seem for him to score goals. Like most, I'm pretty sure all of his goals have just been one-touch finishes and they've not even been spectacular, as I said last week. Um, but his, it's just his movement, his, the nose for goal. It's just, I find it bizarre how he can be so good at, at his age. Yeah, I was talking to a Premier League footballer's dad last week and he was saying to me about Haaland's move and he was saying, really, it could have been Haaland and Kane up front for England, Jonathan. That would have been frightening. I mean, we still wouldn't have won anything. But having Haaland and Kane to choose from would have been nice. Yeah, I mean, can you play them together? Probably not. Um, unless you're going to go 4-4-2, which feels very old-fashioned. But yeah, I, th- I think Haaland, um, 10 goals so far, one penalty, and seven of the other nine have been one-touch finishes. But it's 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 not just that. It's not just the movement and, and, and the awareness. He's just a physical freak that you just don't see players of that size, that scale, that pace. Are you worried that that, that his body won't be able to sustain that? That there will be breakdowns, but there hasn't been yet. Um, so I, th- I think you do take him over Kane just because he's a he's a physical phenomenon, the, the like of which, yeah, I don't think football's ever really done. You can maybe say when Ronaldo first came through, Brazilian Ronaldo. But his body then let him down. You know, he, he, he it turned out that he was carrying too much muscle and, and that put too much stress on his on his knees. Or maybe Christian Vieri is very, very best had that oh, combination of, what of, of physicality, pace, and technique. Um, but but the, these these players tend to have quite short shelf lives just because you know there's a reason why people don't look like that. It's because it puts enormous strain on 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 the joints and the ligaments and all the other medical bits. Um, so, yeah, at the minute, you go Holland just because he's... I, I've never seen anything quite like it. Christian Vieira, love That's why you're the godfather of football coming up with with, with shouts like, like that. I actually watched Christian Vieira play live because Villa played Atletico Madrid when, when he was there once. And I was going to say, have you watched Haaland live? Because obviously I watched him last week for the first time at Villa Park and the size of the guy is absolutely ridiculous. Have I seen him live... Uh, maybe not actually. One nil Barda. Yeah. Tottenham. Could they be dark horses for the title race, Josh? Obviously, Liverpool are falling away, stumbling a, a little bit. Tottenham are on the same points as City, but it feels like they haven't quite got going yet. Or is that just comfortable? It's really. I found it really strange. Like on one hand, Tottenham fans will probably be really pleased that they're so high up in the league and they haven't really played well at all, to be honest. Um, but when you saw in pre-season the videos of of Tottenham players running lengths of the pitch, almost passing out, being sick. Like you just thought, okay, they're going to be like a problem at the start of the season. They're going to come out. They're going to be in peak physical condition, um, and they're just they're going to be right up there. And they are right up there, but they just haven't played anywhere near as well as I thought they would be by now. And I don't know if that's that's deliberate. I don't know if Conte is holding the players back a, a little bit because he knows that this is such a unique season in terms of the schedule. And he's already bemoaned the fact that I think Tottenham have now got three games in a, in the space of six days. So I don't know if that plays a part in it, but then it, that seems like a kind of, it does seem like a gamble to play that way because they have been very fortunate in a, in a fair few of their games to have won, to have come away with wins and stuff. So I don't know. It's been a really weird start because at one point you'd expect them to click, but if they don't click, then 
where they're going to finish up because they can't just keep well you would imagine they couldn't just keep grinding out these sort of results but yeah it's, it's been strange and he hasn't really used his full squad just yet which I, I find a little bit confusing maybe he's got the he got a lot of players in but he hasn't really used Basuma at all um he's been very reluctant to to drop uh, Son even though it's Son out of Kulosevsky and Kane that's probably been the weak link obviously Richardson's coming he's had very good impacts scored twice obviously against Marseille in midweek but that was for Kulosevsky that he came in for who since he's come in has basically not put a foot wrong so yeah I found Tottenham start quite strange um but obviously it was it was in this fixture last season when it was probably one of the best games of the season when they won 3-2 at City and Kane had that incredible performance so maybe this is the game where they're going to turn it on but yeah it's been a strange start yeah does does feel for this one Richarlison will probably play Jonathan I think Kulisevsky's pretty hard done by because he started the season very very well for Spurs and I obviously watched Spurs last night it it is Son who doesn't quite look like the same player it's almost as if he didn't score in that first game and for some reason that's damaged his confidence because he almost looks like he's trying too hard in front of goal yeah I mean I, I assume the logic from Conte is that he thinks Son has to play his way into form. Um, and he thinks that you're know, dropping him rather than arresting him good, that that would damage that confidence further. That, that And that's a judgment, I think, you know, a manager like Conte, who obviously works from day in, day out, you, you've got to sort of trust that. And the fact that they're, they're still getting the wins, I mean, they only really, I suppose you could say that they didn't play well at Chelsea, but yeah, second half, they came back well enough, uh, didn't play well at West Ham. But basically, they're they're doing just enough in games, um, so I, I guess it, it, it then makes makes sense to keep Son on the team and, and rotate others. I mean, he was able to use Kulusevski as a wing back uh, against Marseille, uh, which is a, you know, a useful useful attribute for him to have. So I, I guess from that point of view, it gives you more options from from the bench. Um, I don't think it's at all the case of Kulusevski being dropped. It's 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 just that rotation. And I think part of that rotation at the moment is trying to give give Son the minutes to to, to rediscover that form. I, I mean, I, I'd be amazed if he plays the three games in six days coming up. Yeah, but the, the, the non-use of Basuma I find slightly odd, but maybe that's just a case that Basuma's got to use, got to got to learn Conte's pressing structures. I mean, that, that's that's not an uncommon thing for signings to come in and take a little while to to to, to break into the side. Um, as to the initial question, are they dark horses for the title? I think you've got to say yes, they are, just because it is such an odd season. If Tottenham actually are fitter than everybody else, then fitness is going to be even more important this, this season than most, because just because of the compression of the calendar. Yeah, I think Basuma might start this one. I think this, this is the kind of game that they might put him in for. Looking forward to this one, Josh. The who scored combined 11. Going to be tough getting into that team's real competition for places. What have you got? Yeah, it, it was really tough, to be honest. And, um, Jonathan and how are you doing again, it? So we've gone for a three-five-two because um, obviously Tottenham are wedded to that sort of three at the back system, and, and Man City do it on occasion play it, and 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 obviously in games as well they sort of change to that with someone dropping in the middle of the back three. So we've gone for three-five-two, and Jonathan said earlier, can Kane and um, Kane and Harlan play in the same team together? Probably not, but we've got them in our team naturally um, up front together. Uh, it was they're the two of the top-rated players, so it was hard to leave but one of them out. Um, but yeah, so the back three we've got. Not great timing for this, although it's just Premier League ratings we've taken into account. But Lloris had a bit of a flap against Marseille, um, but he actually gets in over Edison, not with a hugely impressive rating, to be honest, but yeah, just ahead of Edison. Um, then the back three is Davison Sanchez, who I'm not 
particularly that keen on to be honest but to be fair to him he hasn't put a, put a foot wrong in the absence of Romero when he's been out um I think Jonathan may take issue with this next one because I know that he said in a previous show that he thinks that Eric Dyer will get into the England squad for the World Cup but we've got Romero as well in the back three uh, with Ruben Diaz sort of finishing that off um and then and this is another unfortunate pick but Emerson Royale, he's the right wing back. I guess that's purely because Carl Walker's had a real tough time to the start of the season. Um, so, yeah, Emerson Royale gets in there. And then the, the midfield two, oh, sorry, Jao Cancelo's on the other flank. Um, Perisic and Sessignon, they, they've shared minutes this season, so that sort of affected their ratings. And then in midfield, we've got Kevin De Bruyne, Ilkay Gundogan and Hoiberg, who, Hoiberg especially at the start of Conte's reign, I think there's a lot of Tottenham fans in particular calling for him to be dropped. It didn't seem like he was capable of sort of adapting to what was being asked of him, but he has come on really strong towards the back end of last season and he has started this season pretty well. Um, and then, yeah, up front, we've got Haaland and Kane in a 3 5 2. I just can't, I can't, there's a lot of things I can't have can't have with that team. Jonathan, you equally as upset as I am? Well, I, yes. I, I just picked the, the City team, but with Romero in there alongside Diaz, just because Laporte's injured. But I just picked the City team because they're better. You didn't put, didn't put like any anyone anyone else from Spurs. No one else even came close. You wouldn't have. Got no, they came. They came close. But yeah, the, the thing about City is their interaction. So you don't want to break that up. So Edison Walker, Romero, Diaz, Cancelo, uh, Rodri, De Bruyne, Gundogan, Bernardo Silva, Holland, Foden. You can't argue with it, really, can you? Man City. Are no, you could, I mean, you could make some. You could make some great teams, which is why I'm disgusted by the who scored team. I know you've got you've you've got gone by the hour in the back three, all over all over the place. Where's the left footer? In the in the back three, no, you don't need them. Overrated. I would have. I think you could get Kurlezewski in your team, Jonathan. Perhaps. I'm not on the right. Well, in place of Bernardo Silva, I'd maybe move Bernardo Silva into the centre, but then that's a bit harsh on Gundogan. It's it's difficult. It's difficult. I mean, I prefer much prefer your team, Jonathan. You'll be surprised. I don't want to knock who scored because you know they pay the pay the wage, but I just didn't like. I just didn't like that team at all. Josh. We can come back stronger next time. Let's try and jazz it up a bit with uh, some predictions, Josh. What what have you gone with for the prediction or what have who scored? Okay, I'll with? go big three two to Man City. Three two to Man City. I think I'm if Tottenham go... can sort of if Tottenham can turn this game into sort of like a basketball game which was it was at times last season obviously what man city have had to deal with at times already this season as well then i think we'll be in for another thriller yeah i'm going to go 2-2 two, two. i think that was, the, was that the result last i oh, know spurs won it last season didn't didn't they yeah, lay, two, on, two. lay on at the death jonathan yeah i suppose to the double over them last season but i just don't think city are more reliable more consistent so uh, i'm going 3-1 to city Maybe influenced by the fact that I saw Manchester City drop points that I did not expect at all last last mm-hmm. week. I think they can they can be got at. That's the thing with Man City this season. It feels a lot more so than than last season. Perhaps they can can be got out, especially on the counter attack. So I, th- I think Spurs might be able to work something at the weekend. Move on now to the just a minute section and Jonathan, big Midlands derby to start off with for you. Leicester v Villa, early season six pointer. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's my first 10 to 15 seconds, isn't it? It's a, oh, it's a Midlands derby, and um, it, it does feel like a six-pointer already. And you sort of think that whichever team loses their manager, for all that Stephen Gerrard gained a bit of credit last week with the draw against City, is under real pressure. I mean, Rodgers particularly, I, I think, is uh, is edging towards, towards the exit. I mean, their records so far, Leicester, one draw, five defeats. Villas is only different to that in that they've played and beaten Everton. Had they lost that game, they would have exactly the same record. Leicester defensively awful, letting 16 goals. Villa can't really score any, only five have, have gone in. 
I mean, Leicester last week against Brighton, despite getting the, the very early goal, were, were dreadful. I mean, 5-2, but it, it could have been a lot more than that. Um, whereas Villa, yeah, they, they've got to come off that City game thinking, well, there is a bit of fighting spirit there. There is a decent organisation. Uh, Diego Carlos, obviously that for them. Matty Cash is a doubt. Uh, Ricardo Pereira and Ryan Bertrand out for Leicester. Uh, this game was nil-nil last season, but I think Villa will repeat the, the result they got at Villa Park and win 2-1. Yeah, I'll, I'll share that prediction to, to one to Villa. That game last season at Leicester was absolutely terrible. Josh? Uh, we've got a 1-0 win for the mighty Aston Villa. Well done, Josh. Well done. Yeah. Rogers is almost begging to be sacked, sacked every time he's interviewed. I think he's just his body language is, just sack me. Come on. What are yeah. you doing? But I, I'm Give not sure they the can money. afford to. I'm not sure they can afford to sack him at the moment with the way where the, why their finances are Leicester. So, yeah, interesting game. Josh, you've got Liverpool v Wolves, the Paul in Starber. Um, yeah, I was, like I said at the top of the show, I was shocked at some of the defending that we saw from Liverpool against Napoli, especially for Napoli's thir- third goal when Trent Alexander-Arnold just sort of just gave up and just let the, the winger push the ball past him and didn't even get back. I honestly lost for words. Um, yeah, I think Jurgen Klopp would have probably put a firework in that dressing room after the game and I'm sure there'll be changes. I'm sure we won't see Gomez playing this game. Milner certainly can't start. Um yeah, there will be changes. Uh, the the only the only plus point was like I said, Thiago coming back and playing as he did off the bench. That was obviously a real plus point for Liverpool, and you'd imagine that he'd start this one if he's fit enough to. Uh, as for Wolves, I said that I think they'd be they'd be fine if Sasha Kladich could hit the ground running, and he just hit the ground and stayed on the ground. Uh, he's out for the rest of the season, and now they've managed to bring in Diego Costa. So he's, he's probably not going to be. Have they done that? Is that really, done? Uh, yeah, they think they were. I don't know if it's announced, but the um, they've been successful with the the work permit issue. Okay. Um, so he will be a Wolves player, um, but just probably won't be in time for this game. Um, and Raúl Jiménez, he's probably not going to be fit enough either. So I can imagine Wolves giving Liverpool lots and lots of problems in this game, but just not having anyone to finish the chances off. Uh, so with that in mind, we've gone for Liverpool to win one nil, but not convinced by them at all at the moment. Yep, two one to Liverpool for me, Jonathan. Yeah, two one Liverpool. Yeah, so I'm torn between. I always predict Wolves not to score, but I just can't see Liverpool keeping a clean sheet at the, at the moment either. See if I can guess Jonathan's first 15 seconds of this one. Any mention of the seaside for Bournemouth v Brighton? Oh, sorry. I thought you meant Chelsea by the seaside. Sorry. Um, no, no. There's a mention of Chelsea, but not a mention of the beach. Well, if you grow up on the beach, as I did, the beach isn't a big thing. You just sort of take it for granted. This isn't lots, the of real beaches, beach. lots of beaches in Sunderland? Are there lots of beaches in Sunderland? Of course yeah, don't, you know, don't you know your geography? You don't hear of people going, oh, I'm have a nice weekend in Sunderland on the beach. I've never heard anyone say that. Well, you need to speak to different people. Right, Maybe you can so, take like, to the beach one day. So, I mean, I, I, seriously, like amazing seafood. Oysters, langoustines. I don't eat uh, seafood. Oh, this could be like, the new, like a new Netflix series. Um, Jonathan and Dan go to the beach. Oh, commission that. Jonathan, get onto your agent. Let's make this happen. The viewing mm. public would absolutely love that. But for now, we'll let you do Bournemouth Brighton whilst you ponder that. <laughs> well, it's very much a seaside derby, uh, but it's a different <laughs> seaside. Who are making the headlines in this game with Chelsea having probably stolen Brighton's manager? So, um, yeah, two teams who could be without a permanent manager for this game. I think the loss of Potter. Is a is a terrible blow for Brighton, and it's it's just sort of a real sad indication of modern football that you you spend all that time putting together a clever project and everything works. The recruitment's really good. You get a smart manager. You marry up the values of the, the squad and, and the the manager, 
you know, it, it does pretty well. And then suddenly the season, when it looks like it's about to explode when you get your first ever win at Old Trafford, you put five past Leicester. Those problems with goal scoring seem to be behind them. And then the managers go to Richard Club, who badly won. It seems very unfair. So who knows how Brighton will respond to that. Uh, Gary O'Neill has come in at Bournemouth. He's done very well in his first two games. Four points to draw at Wolves. Very impressive. Even more impressive was the comeback against Forest. Um, but this feels like a game where where, where both teams are, 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 are slightly in a, in a state of chaos. So I'm going to say nil-nil. I'm going to go 2-0 to Brighton. Josh? Yeah, I, I would have said Brighton to win, but I just feel like even if Graham Potter is in charge on, on Saturday, I just don't think the, the preparation's ideal at all. So yeah, one or I've gone for. Good luck with this one, Josh. Southampton v Brentford. If anyone could come up with a derby for the, for these two, I'd be absolutely flabbergasted. Ralph Hausenhutter will probably make a few changes after last weekend's defeat to Wolves. Some, they've got a lot of new signings that they can call on, especially a lot of youngsters. But uh, Ainsley Maitland-Niles, who I wouldn't consider a youngster, will probably be one of those changes. Uh, Musa Gineppo could also come back in. Uh, as for Brentford, not, you don't really have to change too much after their 5-2 win last weekend. Ivan Tony scored a hat-trick. Some, some of the goals were really incredible. Um, I don't think there's too much more he can do now if he wants to sort of impress or catch Gareth Southgate's eye. Um, so, yeah, it'll be more, more of the same from Brentford's. Uh, the problem for Brentford, though, is the last time they had a big win, they followed that up with a defeat. When they beat Manchester United 4-2, they lost their next game to Fulham 3-2. Um, so it'll be a test of their consistency now. They've had that learning curve and it'll be interesting to see if they've learnt from it. Um, but yeah, we, I'm going for a 2-1 win for Brentford here. Come back Kings, Brentford. They, they just they go behind, but they always seem to, seem to rescue something from what I've seen of them. This is, I'm going to go for a wild 3-3 in this one. 2-2 uh, for me. 2-2. Two, two. Right. Kevin Campbell slash Francis Jeffers derby for you, Jonathan. Arsenal v Everton. Yeah, I think a lot depends here on how Arsenal respond to last week's defeat. That uh, they've been on such a high, probably too much of a high after those five wins, in which, you know, as I keep saying, yes, they played well, but they were all against teams they'd expect to beat. And then they played pretty well against United as well, but just a little bit naive with the defending. Um, got caught a little bit too high too often, I think, for substitutions, slightly unbalanced them late on. And it's a question of whether that sends them back into their shell or whether they they, they, they can keep playing as they have been playing. Um, Evan, to to an extent, the, the opposite problem, that after their very, very difficult start, uh, there are signs of improvement, four draws in a row, and, and a particularly impressive draw last week against Liverpool. Um, so, yeah, and I think we said it of, of Villa and Gerrard as well, that, that at least there is a sense that the, the players haven't lost hope, they are still playing for the manager. Uh, Townsend, Godfrey, Mina, all out for Everton, doubts over Calvert-Lewin, Dekure and Holgate. Uh, Party and Elneny out for Arsenal, so they've got a shortfall in the middle of the field, but I think Arsenal should still have too much, 2-0. 3-0 to Arsenal here, Josh? I've gone for 3-1. I think I read somewhere that Pickford's out as well for a month or something like that. So He's got an injury, I mean, definitely. Oh, right, yeah. okay. I'd missed that. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, so Begovic I think that could be the, way, the way that he's playing at the moment, and I think Begovic is the guy to come in who is obviously not good enough anymore to start for a Premier League team. So, yeah, I'm going to go for 3-1 to Arsenal. Yeah, Pickford had a stupendous game in the, in the Merseyside derby. Some great saves in there. Josh, your final one is Crystal Palace against Manchester United, your beloved Manchester United. <laughs> Nick Pope was the who scored man of the match for Newcastle and Palace's draw last weekend, which perhaps gives you a bit of an indication uh, of the flow of that game. With that in mind, I don't think Palace are probably going to make too many too many changes. Sorry, Wilfred Zaha will, will continue to be the main man for Crystal Palace. He scored two of uh, Palace's last three goals against United, and obviously, just would love to to show up his old his old club again. 
Um, Eric Ten Hag is expected to rotate heavily in the Europa League on Thursday and will probably name a similar side to the one that started against Arsenal. Uh, so that will mean the likes of Maguire, Casemiro and Ronaldo all on the bench once again. Uh, United generally struggle at Selhurst Park, especially of, of recent of recent years. They haven't scored on their last two trips, um, but having won four in a row in the league, they should have the momentum to 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 change that here. Uh, I'm got, but even still, I'm going for a two-all draw. Yeah, I was something about Palace. I don't. I just don't like Selhurst. Well, I like Selhurst Park, but I don't like Manchester United playing there. I want to go for one-one, Jonathan. Two-one uh, to United. Two one two nine. Is it a blender going somewhere? Someone's having a shower. No, it's a leaf, there's a leaf there's blower a outside. So yeah. I've just I've just gone and shut the door. But uh, okay. uh, whether it you rushed yourself back, you rushed yourself back. Didn't you say you were in position when Josh finished? And yeah, just, I did. Just that's, yourself there. That's arch professionalism. <laughs> Let's look now at Leeds v Forest, Jonathan, for you to finish off. Yeah, Leeds. I think the team a lot of people thought might struggle a bit this season with the post Bielsa hangover, but actually they played pretty well. Although eight points of six games isn't isn't necessarily. Um, enough to sort of make them think, oh, we're definitely safe. And, and, and the way they conceded at Brentford last week, albeit they should have had a penalty, I think would would concern them. Um, and Jesse Marsh has touched line antics, finally sort of getting the red card he sort of seems to be begging for from the start of the season. Uh, Forrest, having got that lucky win against West Ham, I think is, is starting to struggle a bit, albeit that they, they've played City and Spurs in the last three games, all of which have lost. But they conceded 11 goals in those three now, again, six of them were against City, so to an extent that's to, to, to be expected. Um, their issue, yeah, very obviously, is how quickly they can get these 20, 21 new players, 22, is it now? They've got Aurier uh, to jail. Um, and I think there's a serious chance they could lose Steve Cooper to Brighton. Um, I think that he, he's got to be somebody who's on Brighton's radar. Um, Dallas, Rodrigo out for Leeds, Christensen, a doubt. Uh, Nikate, Richards and Mangala out for Forest. Not that that really matters because nobody knows who they are. Um, and by that, I mean the other Forest players as well. 2-1 uh, to Leeds. Yeah, I had 2-1 to Leeds as well. Good shout on, on Steve Cooper. That that would be a, a good appointment. Josh? Uh, we've gone for 2-all for this one. 2-all. Leeds can't defend, can they? I always feel like that's, that's Leeds' problem. They look good going forward, but the, the defensively they, they do look all at sea at times. Let's finish now with Fulham against Chelsea. And Jonathan, the big news this week is Chelsea sacking Thomas Tuchel. You agree with it? Do you think it's silly? What do you think? Well, I, I disagree with the timing quite profoundly because I'm going to the test match today. I was meant to have a quite quiet day yesterday. And yesterday was full on work. I've been up since five o'clock this morning working, trying to get everything out of the way before going to the cricket. The fact that Pot hasn't been appointed yet means that I'm going to have to take my laptop to the cricket. I'm not going to be able to drink with abandon until that's sorted out. So it's, it's incredibly annoying, incredibly frustrating. I can't believe how selfish Chelsea have been. From a footballing point of view... Why on earth would you come in, see all the backroom staff depart, have a bloke who's never done any transfer business in Todd Bowley become the de facto sporting director, have him say, right, we're giving Tuchel more power than any manager's had at Chelsea for 20 years, maybe longer. Uh, We want to follow the Liverpool model. We want to have this very integrated system where you have, you know, uh, everybody knows exactly how you play. The coach uh, has, has an input into every signing. You, you let the coach have have all that power. Uh, so not going for Cristiano Ronaldo, for instance, was clearly Tuchel's decision. Not going for um, uh, Anthony Gordon was clearly his decision. The doubts over Kunde were Tuchel's decision. You do all of that. You bring in 
um, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who, who he'd worked with at Dortmund, they talked about this great reunion. And then six days after the transfer window closes, you sack him, having spent a quarter of a billion pounds on his say-so. It just makes no sense at all. But I do feel a bit sorry for Tuchel as well, because I think at the back, back end of last season, he obviously had to deal with so much stuff with towards the end of Abram, Roman Abramovich's sort of reign of the club. He sort of, by default, just had to become the spokesperson for Chelsea because none of the directors were sort of doing that for him. Um, and then Chelsea were on the back foot already in the summer when it took quite a long time for the new owners to come in. And obviously he had he got, he got given all this money to sign to sign all the players that he wanted, and he just hasn't been given the time to to sort that to sort of even have a chance to sort that out. Um, it is it does seem extremely harsh, but like you said, Dan, it doesn't, it's not really a surprise because it is Chelsea, I guess. Like I, I even said in um, our summer series when we previewed Chelsea, I said that. I had a feeling Chelsea were in for a difficult season because Tuchel's demeanour during pre... It wasn't the results, because the results were poor, but it was his demeanour sort of in press conference and stuff. He just didn't give off a good... Um, it just didn't give give off like a, a happy camp, I think I said at the time, um, which obviously has panned out to be true. So I wasn't... I'm not surprised that Tuchel's gone. I'm surprised that he's gone so quickly and not been given any sort of time to do anything himself. It looks like it's going to be Graham Potter as his replacement, which is hugely exciting if you're um, one of those that really rates Graham Potter. And I, I really am excited to see what Graham Potter can do in an elite club. If you think about the style of football that he tries to play, how um, sort of intelligent, I guess, you've got to be to sort of soak that all that information up. And you'd expect that when he's has better technical players that is disposable then that will only just elevate the the system further but it's still a gamble because we don't know what Potter's like at a big club we don't know how he will deal with players with bigger egos we don't know how the the Chelsea dressing room does down the year seems to be quite a volatile place where if you don't if you don't sort of handle that well then it very quickly goes wrong for you um but yeah it's going to be interesting to see how that goes I guess it will be Potter if not for uh, this weekend's game, then certainly moving forward it will be. But yeah, uh, a shame for Tuchel because he is still an exceptional coach and he'll have no trouble finding another job soon. Um, he probably f- feels a bit let down as well because I think Manchester United were keen on him. I've read as well that Barcelona were keen on him and he obviously stayed loyal to Chelsea, um, but they've not stayed loyal to him. Jonathan, Josh kind of says about Potter getting the job. I quite like it because... A lot of people in the in the media would, would have all, not not you specifically, but they they would have said, "Oh, the English managers they never get a chance with the big club." But Potter, it might be a bit of a jump. I, I would say I'm a bit surprised by, it, but I am excited to see how how that goes because I think you know he has they've got off to to an exceptional start. Brighton, he's got a really interesting way of playing. Chelsea have played three at the back for the last couple of years. Potter largely plays three at the back as well. I'm looking forward to seeing a manager like Potter getting a chance at a club like Chelsea. It's obvious to say, but Brighton is a very, very different club to Chelsea. The expectations are very different. The, the skill set is, to an extent, quite different. Um, but you sort of think, if, if that's not the pathway, what is the pathway? If you're an English coach, how do you get to a job like Chelsea if it's not by you know, taking that route of you know, Swansea, Brighton, there? Uh, if you, you know, if the only people getting those top jobs are people who've managed Ajax or you know, high level in Portugal or France or something, then, then that, that doesn't seem to make sense. So from, from that point of view, I, I think it's a positive thing for English football. However, um, 
I just I just worry that at Brighton Potter had complete buy-in. You know, the, the the fit between him and the board and him and the squad was was perfect. And I don't think it's it's possible to get that almost anywhere else. Uh, and I certainly don't think at Chelsea will have that. And you so you see how he sort of changed his approach. You know, it's only five years ago he was at Ostersund and he was sort of regarded as this uh, this slightly weird English bloke who, you know, you might remember him playing at fullback for who's he played for York and Macclesfield. Um, Did he play for Southampton as well? Or have I made that up? Yeah, I think he might have done. Yeah, I think York was the team he played for most. Um, but yeah, yeah, he, he had a sort of a journeyman fullback career. Played, I don't know, 300, 320 games, something like that in the league. And he, you know, he, he was technical director for Ghanaian Women's FA for a while, uh, or certainly during the 2007 World Cup. Uh, he'd worked in university football. Then he goes to Ostersund, has, has great success. So, you know, gets them promoted, wins the Swedish Cup with his tiny team. And, you know, he was making them put on performances of Swan Lake. And he was doing these sort of cultural workshops. And he was talking about growing the players as people. And obviously, you can't do that with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is not going to do a performance of Swan Lake, much as you know, I would like to see that. Um, but and, and Potter clearly has changed his his style of management at Swansea and then at Brighton. But he's going to have to change it again. Now he's clearly really, really smart. He, you know, he's clearly been good at that so far. Uh, he's got a very broad range of experience, but he's never experienced this. But then very few people have. So. Uh, yeah, I think it's exciting, but with with doubts. I hope he's just really given time to to sort of have a, as good a crack at it as he can because the Brighton we see now wasn't the Brighton that we saw at the start of his time. It took a while for his methods to sort of click with the Brighton players. And I guess the, the, the theory there is Chelsea's players are better, so maybe they'll pick up that what he wants quicker. But yeah, I hope he's given time and obviously historically or certainly in the last 20 years or so Chelsea managers aren't, aren't given time no, it really will be fascinating I'm, I'm excited to see it, as, as, as I just mentioned it's a quick word on Fulham then Josh Shao Paulinia one of my favourite players in the Premier League so far this season Alexander Mitrovic as well has started the season incredibly I, I didn't see that coming after after his last in, in, in the Premier League but Fulham look at a neat and tidy outfit yeah I get the, the fear for Fulham I guess this season was that if Mitrovic couldn't make that jump, as we have seen in the past that he couldn't quite do it in the Premier League, then they'd be in real trouble. But he's absolutely smashed that theory out of the park because he's been incredible. And I think it's six goals in as many games. Um, in terms of who scored ratings, he's second to, to Haaland in the whole division. And I think what's been really impressive to me about Mitrovic is that he's he's also added like this ball-carrying ability to his game this yeah, season. Yeah, I've noticed that. Well, like when you think of his physical attributes, if if you can get him moving, like not many people are going to be able to stop him. But we've never really seen that before. Um, but this season, I think he's averaging 1.7 successful dribbles per game, which is um, more than the likes of Salah, Rashford, Leon Bailey, and Jaden Sancho, who you think traditionally are, are dribblers. Um, but Mitrovic is doing is doing more than that on top of his goals. So, if you, which is incredible, really. I think that's more than double anything he's ever managed before in a league season. Um, so Marco Silva's definitely changed his game in that way, and, it, and it's to the benefit of the team. And then on Jao Paulina, Paulina, sorry, I think he's another player, like we said at the top of the se- top of the show, where there are players at certain clubs that you wouldn't have necessarily expected them to be there in in the past. Um, and he's added a great sort of foundation to Fulham's um, to pl- to their player. He he averages more tackles per game than anyone in Europe's top five leagues this season, with five per game. Um, and as you said many times, Danny, he's one of your favourite players to watch this season. 
those two have really been a sort of a key part of Fulham's early season success. And if Chelsea, obviously, they might have Graham Potter by this game, but they're in disarray really at the moment. And if you if you want a chance to face them, then you would have to say now's the time for Fulham, who have got a terrible, terrible record against Chelsea. Um, but yeah, this is their time, I think, to to maybe get a positive result. Yeah, well, for you, made of Mitrovic, Jonathan. Interesting that he has added that facet to his game. A bit, a bit. I've seen them. I think I've watched them twice live this season, and Mitrovic has showed feet a bit in both games. Yeah, I mean, he's he's another one of those players who has that physical power, but is technically probably better than than you think. Um, I mean, I, I sort of think if you if you score forty three goals in the championship, that's a huge number, and and so. I don't think the, the, the sort of thought that he was only going to get three or four goals a season was ever realistic. Yeah, he, he, he's clearly become a better player since last time he was in the Premier League. And even then, I think he scored one in four. It, you know, he, he didn't get a huge number. I think, I don't know, was it three in 12, something like that? Three in 13, maybe? Um, so it was, it was partly lack of opportunity as much as not not taking chances. But yeah, he, he he's confident. He's playing brilliantly for his country. Um, I think Serbia are, you know, are, are going to be really interesting at the World Cup, him and Vlaovic up front together. Uh, and, and then I think being the person who really alerted the world to the fact that Virgil van Dijk can be got at if you run at him, I think that probably has done Mitrovic the world a good as well. I thought you'd react to my use of the term Thetabix, but you just you didn't even acknowledge it. You, I didn't hear it, to be honest. Oh, okay. Thetabix, what does that mean? Thetabix, if they show good feet. Thetabix. Have you just said that, or do people say that? I heard it once before, years ago, and I've, <laughs> I've continued. It's one of my favourite terms. I don't think football connoisseurs will use it, but I, I quite no. like it for someone who shows good feet. I actually feet. thought you said Thetabix at the time. Nah, he's shown It's one of my favourite terms. Yeah. That was the face, face so that, if he, was the I was expecting. <laughs> if he sort of missed missed a load of chances, would he have shredded feet? <laughs> oh yes, Jonathan, absolutely love that. Oh, that's a new, that's a new one. Any, any, any from you, Josh? Any serial input from you? No, I don't want to. Don't want to ruin the moment. <laughs> no. And predictions for this one, Josh. I'll come to you first. Uh, yeah, like I said, I think Fulham have got a great chance to um, get a result. I think they've come close against some of the big teams already this season. I'm going to go for a one-all draw. I was going to go for 1-1 one, one as well. 1-0 one from me. Jonathan? Yeah, snap. 1-1. One, 3-1-1. One. One, one. First time we've all predicted the same score throughout this podcast. And that does us for this week. Thanks ever so much for watching. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel with your post notifications on so you know when the next show is coming. We will, of course, be live from the Sunderland beaches next week. Enjoy the football if you're going. And as ever, stay safe. Stay safe.